We'll be reading Genesis 5, the entire chapter. And uh, guys, you said last week that you felt sorry for me next week having to read all the names. But there's only really two hard names in this whole thing. And I'd probably say there's only really one. Um, but we are going to get some harder ones a bit later, but we'll see. So let's get into it. Genesis 5. Uh, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived, after he fathered Enosh, 807 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived, after he fathered Kenan, 815 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalel. Kenan lived, after he fathered Mahalel, 840 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. <coughs> Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Well, today we're going to be learning a quick history about the antediluvian people. Now the word antediluvian is just kind of a fancy theological term, but it means before the flood. People that existed before the flood. We see from Adam onwards the world that existed uh, before the extraordinary events of Genesis 7 and 8. We see that this world is very different to our own. While the earliest human societies were primordial and Primitive, they were also intelligent and innovative. We saw last week that the line of Cain contributed many different technological advances to human society. Uh, but today, I've decided to pick three men from this passage. Three men. And we're going to look at those three men in detail. And we're going to see three things. We're going to see, number one, the mortal man. 
Number two, we're going to see the blessed man. And number three, we're going to see the saved man. And so we're going to start with the mortal man. And we see our passage beginning in 5.1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. And here we see the fact that we are almost beginning a different book. We see that this is the book of the generations of Adam. And perhaps this might be a different volume in the collection of the book of Genesis. Uh, it's highly likely that the book of Genesis is actually a collection of different books compiled together like volumes um, in a series. And that series makes up Genesis. And we know that the book of Genesis was written by Moses because Jesus said that it was written by Moses. And I trust Jesus in his uh, assessment of who wrote this. And I'm much more likely to believe that Jesus is right than some scholars or theologians who want to differ with Jesus. Uh, and so we find Genesis, written by Moses, probably in different sections. And he has combined them all together to give us the book of Genesis uh, that we have today. And we see that this book of the genealogies is not actually the genealogies of Adam per se, but the line of Seth and the line that continues through to this day. The line that continues to exist, because we know that Cain last week, well, his line is now a footnote in history. You'll never see a descendant of Cain again. They will never show up in the book. They will never show up anywhere in Genesis. They are done and dusted. And now we are concerned with Seth. And we have in our passage here a reminder that when God created humanity, he made them in his image. Male and female. And he, it affirms once again that human beings have a special nature. And that both men and women are created in his image and created equal. They're made in the image of God, which is essential to what it means to be human. It's this indwelling character and nature of God, which enables us to love, to create, to think abstractly, to reason, to comprehend time. We could go through a long list of what the image of God entails for us, but at the very least, it sets us apart from the rest of the animal kingdom. Dogs don't have the image of God. Dolphins don't even have the image of God. Octopuses don't. Octopi, I should say. They don't. And we're also humanity, made in the image of God, but we're also made to live eternally with God. How's that going for Adam? Well, Adam has a son. We know this from Genesis 4. Uh, we already read that last week, but we see the age that Adam was when Seth was born. 130. That's pretty old. That's pretty old, wow. Uh, we know that Eve is basically the same age, so that is quite an astonishing accomplishment for a, a couple at such an old age, until you learn that Adam reached 930. He's got a whole other 900 years to go. Imagine hitting 90 and knowing that you've only lived a tenth of your lifespan. Well, I, I imagine that Adam wasn't this decrepit old 90-year-old man, and he then had to do that live in that existence for another 900 years. That's not quite what's happening. So why these incredible lengths of age? Why was Adam and Eve, and Adam's not even the oldest person in this list, why are they living so long? How could they pull this off? I mean, Methuselah lives a staggering 969 years. Settle down there, buddy. That's a long time. He's almost, he almost lived for a thousand years. Imagine that. 
Imagine being born in the Middle Ages. Imagine being born before the Crusades began. That's how long this guy lived. It's amazing. Staggering. Al Mohler notes that uh, church history, church, uh, you know, the view of the church across history, has always taken these lifespans at face value. It hasn't been the history of the church to say, oh, it's just a, you know, it's a symbolic number that implies this, or, oh, actually, it's not actually meaning these ages, or if you look at these calendar, they only live to be around 90 years old or something like that. No, the church never believed in anything like that. They believed these guys lived to be that old. So if that's the case, then what does the church across history put it down to for why they lived up there? Two reasons. Number one, the forbearance of God, the patience of God. The Lord allows these people to live these long lives as an act of grace, primarily to populate the world and fulfill the cultural mandate. And we know Genesis 1.28 says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so one of the reasons that the church across history has uh, given for these long lifespans is that God was forbearing and patient and allowing them to live this long. Number two, the second reason is they were created originally not to die. When Adam and Eve were created, they were made immortal. And because they were immortal, their disobedience in the garden meant that Adam and Eve had given up their mortality, their immortality. God warned them that the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And that was true. They are now mortal. He's a mortal man. And church history notes this, that it takes some time for sin and death to work its way into the world. It doesn't happen instantly. It takes some time for mortality to work its way deep into our bodies and deep into the fabric of existence. And so how does this work? How does sin and death take this long time to work its way into human society? Well, we can only speculate. Uh, the church history notes that, you know, as you plot these ages as they go along, they drop off. They begin to drop off and then kind of level out at the kind of ages we have today. Well, my speculation on why they lived this long and why it took so long for sin and death to work its way in is because human beings were created genetically perfect. When they were originally created, they were created to be very good. And so there were no genetic mutations, there was no limitations in our genes that would allow for death. And then sin has entered into the picture, and then, under the stresses of the environment, our genes begin to mutate. You know, the sun does a big number on our DNA. We don't realize it, but the UV radiation goes right into our DNA and does a big work. The longer you spend in the sun, kind of shorter your lifespan is, but luckily uh, for us, we can't really shorten it any more than it already is, uh, unless you get cancer, then we're in big trouble. Um, and we see that around my age, around 26, 27, uh, your cells replace faster than they die when you're young. That's why there's, you know, you're full of youth, full of vitality. But when you get a bit older, your cells are no longer replacing as quickly as they're dying. And so because they're not replacing as quickly, um, I'm technically dying now. It's going to take me a long time to get there. Hopefully, I mean, I could die uh, any time. But generally speaking, if I didn't die from a disease or any other external figure, eventually my cells would not be able to replace quick enough that I have a timer. We all have a timer on us. And so it took some time for that to happen. It took some time for death to work its way in, but it surely did. It did. You can see this as you plot, you know, you plot it, and it goes down. 
that it bottoms out. So what does this mean? It simply means this. Adam is now mortal. We are all now mortal. And just as these humans died, so do we. And their death was sure, and just as sure as our death is, even though they lived maybe ten times as long as we did. And Adam, the immortal man, has now become mortal. And he fathers a son named Seth. It says, verse 3, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. Fascinating. Did you think for a second, as we were reading, you're like, oh, what's going on? I wonder what's going on over there. It's not saying that we no longer bear the image of God. Now we bear the image of Adam, the image of God is done away with. That's not what it's saying. The reason why I know that's not what it's saying is not necessarily from this verse, but from verses like Genesis 9-6 that says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. It means that God places high value on you, your life. I can't go and just kill you because I feel like it. Your life has value in the eyes of God. You're made in his image. We don't have the right to take anyone's life. And the reason you don't is because you're made in his image. So the image of God has not been done away with. So what's going on? Well, it's simple. We also bear Adam's image. We bear God's image, and we bear Adam's image. We bear his curse. We bear his sin nature. We're born into sin and death now. Seth, who was the son of Adam, did not eat of the tree of the garden. He did not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, he was born with the knowledge of good and evil, wasn't he? He didn't need to eat the tree to be born with it. He just simply needed to be born of the man that ate from it. He was still born with the curse. He was born mortal, and he was born killable. And this is all our stories. We are born with two images. The image of God, and the image of the man made in the image of God. Who fell and rebelled. The image of God represents all that is good and right with humanity, and the image of Adam represents our sin nature. One thing I want you to note is righteousness doesn't run in the blood. You don't pass on your righteousness to your children. The only thing you pass on to your children is your sin nature. Your children only inherit one thing from you, and that's your capacity to sin, your knowledge of good and evil. We don't pass on our righteousness, our patience, our gentleness, our respectfulness. Only our sin is what we pass on. And as you go down this list of genealogies, you're going to notice a pattern. Someone is born, they father a son, and they die. After every single person we see, almost every single person, after the days of Seth, 912 years, and he died. All the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. All the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. I'm not going to read all of them, but you get the point, the phrase, and he died, shows up again and again and again, because humanity is now mortal. We will all die. Their deaths are as sure as our deaths. Every single one of them is going to die, except for one person. One of the most interesting verses in Genesis, verse 21. Did you read it? Uh, when Enoch had lived 65 years, fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, but he was not, for God took him. Well, this is the shortest age span we see here. But he doesn't die. 
every single other person says, and he dies. This guy gets taken. What does that mean? Brings me to my second point, the blessed man. In a walk with God, he was not forgotten. Interesting. So we know that phrase, walk, walk with God, is kind of a metaphor for your way of life. Metaphor for what you're doing. It's about what direction you're headed in, how you conduct yourself across time. It's about the journey. Uh, life is kind of like this pilgrimage. Have you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? It's kind of this great metaphor of life, a journey, a path that takes you towards death or life. And for Enoch, we can see what the path took him towards, and that's towards life. Because he walked with God. And when you walk side by side with someone, it implies camaraderie. It implies a common purpose. If you see two people walking alongside each other in a supermarket or something, you can easily, you know, kind of glean from that, that they know each other, that they must be husband and wife, or they must be uh, father and son, or mother and daughter, uh, just based on the fact that they're walking next to each other. Walking side by side with someone implies that you have a close relationship with that person. Um, in fact, if you want to really creep someone out, just walk over next to them and see how weird they're going to feel after you're walking side by side with them for a while. They're going to feel weird about it, but why? You're just walking. Like, what's the problem? Obviously, if you're walking side by side, it implies closeness, it implies relationship. And so Enoch is a believer. And that's what we really know about him, at least from Genesis 5. But we do know a little bit more about him because Enoch shows up in the New Testament. In fact, we know more about Enoch from the New Testament than we do from the Old Testament. And so we're going to dive in, Hebrews 11, 5 to 6, and just have a little uh, little look at what uh, the writer of Hebrews says. It says, uh, By faith, Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death. And he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We know verse 6. You've heard verse 6 before, that it is impossible, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But you probably didn't really like, connect the dots that that verse comes from Enoch. This one, uh, this dude who lives in these three verses and it's all we really know about him, we actually can glean a lot of information. We know that Enoch pleased God, it says here, because he walked with God and was spared death. I mean, you could pretty much see that from the text, right? God's not going to just take up, take up someone that he isn't pleased with. We learn that Enoch was a man of faith because he drew near to God, and that he believed God existed and rewarded those who seek him. It's really amazing stuff. Enoch, this man who we know very little about, stands as an example to us to follow. He was the blessed man. He was the man who never tasted death. There are only two people in the whole Bible. Enoch and Elijah. Everyone else dies. Hebrews said, says that without faith it is impossible to please God. And this is simple. A lot of people feel good, get a bit uh, worked up about this. They, get, they feel a bit weird. Like, we should be able to please God by the good stuff that we do. But think about it. I mean, can you please God while discrediting or denying it? It's like thinking you're an upright citizen because you obey the law while you are in a revolution trying to overthrow the king. 
It'd be just as ludicrous as thinking that. You're literally trying to tear down the rule of that person while being an upstanding citizen. It's an oxymoron. And here, Enoch's faith in God is what is commended. His way of life. We know that Enoch wasn't perfect because no man is perfect other than Jesus. But he wasn't, he was vindicated by God. Well, he wasn't vindicated by God because he was flawless, but because he had faith. Faith is the important thing. And we know a little bit more about Enoch from Jude 14 to 15. Jude doesn't have any chapters, so it's just verses 14 to 15. I wasn't going to read two chapters to you. Uh, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, just in case we're going to get it mixed up with all the other Enochs in the Bible, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Well, this tells us a little bit about Enoch, but it also tells us a little bit about the world Enoch lived in. An ungodly one. And Enoch was a godly man in an ungodly time. And he was a preacher. And he was a prophet. And he herald, heralded the impending judgment that was going to fall on that generation of people. And Enoch knew that God would not be patient forever, but see to it that eventually justice would prevail. And these people would fall under God's wrath. wrath. This is a good indication to us about the character of a godly person. Before, you may have thought Enoch was just a really nice guy. He was a really nice guy, and he walked with God, and he had this great, quiet spirituality at home, and he read his Bible every day, even though he wouldn't have had the Bible at that time, but he was doing everything right, and he was just a good, godly guy, gentle, but what do we see here? Enoch spoke out against the ungodliness he saw around him. Enoch had a backbone because of his faith in God. This is the example that we must follow to. Because this is the only man we know, apart from Elijah, that has never faced death. You want to know something that him, Enoch, and Elijah had in common? They were both, well, they're both prophets, but they were both men who spoke out. They were both men who spoke out of the ungodliness that was happening around them. They didn't stay quiet. They weren't men marked by quiet spirituality at home. Not to diss that. Definitely like foster quiet spirituality at home. But that should lead you to do things. That should lead you to live differently. And this is the example we can find with Enoch. But we have one more man I want you to pay attention to. My last one. The saved man. Verse 28, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived, after he fathered Noah, 595 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, and Jacob. And I assume this is where you got your name, Jim? Disgusted. No, I didn't name myself. <laughs> you have to ask your parents. Uh, so we're introduced to Noah. And we know Noah. You might not have known Enoch, but you definitely know Noah. 
I mean, some of you, uh, I assume you do. There's, I've met up with some people who just have no Christian background and don't even know like the most basic things. And um, just reminds me that we need to be careful. But Noah, and we'll find out who he is a bit later, but his name stands for the Hebrew word for rest. He was named Rest. Because Lamech, a different Lamech to the really dodgy guy we saw last week, predicts that Noah would be the one who would come to bring relief or rest from our work, who would bring an end to that curse that had been put on Adam. Noah would bring in better days. Oh, Lamech. He's not going to bring in better days. And I think Lamech is making the same mistake that Eve made. Remember, we were introduced to Cain, and his name meant, here he is, or I've got him. I found this offspring has come, this offspring that would crush the head of the serpent. And we saw that instead of Cain becoming this great serpent destroyer, he ends up becoming pretty much a serpent himself. He takes on the character of the serpent and is a liar and a murderer. And here Lamech, a different Lamech, is hoping that Noah would be the savior who would rescue them from the curse. Who would be the head crusher of the serpent, the one who would bring an end to the curse and redeem humanity. Everyone at this time was looking forward to a Messiah. They were looking forward to a Savior, and Noah was here. And Noah would bring it in. Noah was an upstanding guy. And Lamech was right about one thing. Noah was going to play a very important role. Love and relief. Noah was going to provide a reset. Enoch had been preaching repentance to the people at the time we know that from Jude. His words were influential but ultimately failed in turning humanity back to God. Genesis 6, we're going to see what is occurring while we're reading the stories about these people. And we're introduced to Noah and his children, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These four men be the future of humanity. These four men and their wives would remain after the cataclysmic events we're going to read soon. Events of biblical proportions. That's where you get that phrase from. But what I want you to notice about Noah, we're going to, we're going to deal with the flood as we get to it. But for now, what I want you to know about Noah was that he was a saved man. He was a rescued man. And he was shielded from God's wrath. Noah, like Enoch, was a flawed man, but he was a man of faith. His faith was the thing that saved him. His faith was the thing that made him a saved man. And he stands as an example to us, because the judgment of the flood on the world was a testament to the wrath of God against ungodliness. But Noah was a testament to God's grace to those who believe. It was not because Noah was perfect that God saved him in his household. It was because Noah had faith in God. And I didn't just come up with that myself. Hebrews 11.7 By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir, listen to this, became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. An heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. It means that he received the righteousness that comes by faith. He would eventually receive that. We might not have lived during this tumultuous or remarkable time, but we do have the same thing that they have that saves us. Faith, trust in God, belief in God, giving honor and respect to the creator of all. Hebrew calls, Hebrew 
priest calls Noah an heir to the righteousness that comes by faith. And really what that means is you can have two kinds of righteousness. A righteousness that you earn by your merit, by obedience to the law, or a righteousness that comes by believing in Jesus and believing in his gospel. Righteousness is the right standing with God. So how do you want to earn your right standing with God? By obedience to the law, by ticking these boxes, by making sure that your life is spick and span and that you commit no evil? Or do you want your righteousness to come through faith? The Bible says that if you want your righteousness to come from the law, then you have to obey all of it. And if you break one of it, you break all of it. Pretty high bar, pretty high standard. Just as Abel and Enoch and Noah before you, you have the same thing they had to believe in Jesus. That's faith. It's not simply enough to have faith. You can't say, yes, I have faith, this kind of innocuous, abstract thing that's up there in the class. But faith in something. So the question is, what is your faith in? in a new house, retirement, a marriage, a child, a future, a degree. All these things cannot carry the weight of God because none of these things can fill the God-shaped hole in our hearts. No matter what you throw into it, you will never be satisfied. No matter what you consume in order to satisfy, you find it lacking, you find it bitter, the more emphasis you put on it. And these men, who are set as an example for us to follow, put their faith in the true and living God, the maker of the heavens and earth. Christians likewise put their faith in the exact same God, expressed in the person of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world who died, the crusher of the serpent's head. The one we were waiting for, the Savior who would come and rescue us from this life of curse uh, cursing, where the ground is cursed, childbearing is cursed, relationships are cursed, all of this, Christ swallowed death, ultimately so we could live. He became a curse. He bore the curse for us so that we could go free. He took our death so that even though we die, yet shall we live. It is not the fact that you're a good boy or a good girl that gets you the righteousness that you need. It is whether you have faith in Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves, not you. If it was by the works of the law and doing moral things that we are justified, well, who, could, who among us could have stand, stood on that day? None of us can. I know I would. My question is, what is your faith in today? Genesis 5 stands as a testament to us of faith. We look at this, and some of us may think, you know, it's Interesting little stories, but I didn't get much out of it. When the writer of Hebrews comes along, and he sees things in it that are quite amazing. And so we're thankful for the writers of the New Testament. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you have written to us Genesis 5. Lord, in our sinfulness, we come to passages like this, and we read over them, we gloss over them, we don't get things from them. And Lord, we do that because we think it's hard soil and that it will not yield fruit to us. But we know that hard soil will indeed be fertile and rich if it is found in your word. 
We know that your word is good and holy, that it makes wise the simple, and also, Lord, that it cuts us deep. And so, Father, I pray for my friends here. I pray for your people here. Would you expose to them things that they have put their faith in that they ought not to? Would you revive them? Would you restore their faith in you? Or would they come before you humble and contrite, knowing that you are a God who saves, and that faith alone is what saves us, and Christ alone, and not our deeds? We thank you for Enoch and Noah, wonderful men. Even though they were flawed, they stand as examples to us of godliness and faithfulness. May we be like them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.